Hello and welcome to episode number 45 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined from Indianapolis once again by Tony Pauline after the third day of workouts at Lucas Oil Stadium. After watching the offensive players for the first two days, we finally got a look at some of the defenders on Sunday, which is the side of the football likely to dominate the early rounds of this year's draft. Let's stick with offense to start, though. Tony, you reported earlier Sunday that Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, was telling people that taking Kyler Murray with the draft's first pick is essentially a done deal. What can you add to that story? Well, I can say that he said it in front of a bunch of decision makers, including some general managers. I know there are people out there who believe that it's a false report, but no. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury did make the statement. It goes hand in hand with what Cliff Kingsbury feels about Kyler Murray. Now, is it a done deal? As I said in the article, I don't know that it's Cliff Kingsbury's decision to make. It may be something that he wants and something that he's pushing for. Before the combine, I would have never believed that this was going to happen. But as I said to somebody on Twitter, there's too much smoke for there not to be any fire. Now, do you think a lot of this could be posturing by Cliff Kingsbury? He's going to say, we're going to take Kyler Murray number one, possibly tempt teams to trade up either to number one or to a pick a couple lower, knowing that quarterbacks are going to go higher. Is there any sort of gamesmanship going on here, or do you think it's authentic? I did hear from somebody yesterday that the word was, or the rumor was, that the Oakland Raiders were going to package a bunch of picks to try and move up to get Kyler Murray. Could that be the case? Yes, but, you know, Kingsbury's prior comments on Kyler Murray are well known, so his affection for Murray is already out there. Could it be some gamesmanship? I'm sure, but I think that would come more from the general manager who is ultimately making the decision. We'll have to see what happens. And that same general manager, Steve Kine, recently came out this week, and there was some attention given to his comments because when asked about whether Josh Rosen was Arizona's starter, he said yes, for now. Now, if you're going to throw a qualifier like that on it, on top of Kingsbury's obvious affection for Murray and him doubling down on it this week, as you said, a lot of smoke very well could be a fire. Granted, we still have, what, another uh, two months before the draft, and a lot can happen, and you know, as I, I was on record saying yesterday with you that I, I think people were going over the top. I mean, this all came together, it seemed, after Murray measured over five foot ten, and he hasn't thrown a pass. But it's the talk of the town here in Indianapolis, and it's just getting louder and louder. Sticking with the story here, there was a report a few days ago that Josh Rosen had removed all references and posts relating to the Arizona Cardinals from his Instagram account. Now, Rosen said he was hacked and that the only remaining photos were actually the last couple he had posted and that everything prior to that had been deleted. Have you heard anything about Rosen's relationships in Arizona with either teammates, the front office, or new head coach Cliff Kingsbury? Spoke with somebody last night, and first of all, let's go back to last year's draft, where the word leading up to the draft was that Rosen was a guy who was looked upon as being difficult or difficult personality by people at UCLA. There was some denials, but that theme kind of rang through the entire draft. I'm hearing it's a similar situation in Arizona. There are some people in Arizona who just really don't have a high opinion of Rosen. In some areas, someone came out and told me outright he's not well-liked, not by everybody, but in some areas. So again, going back to the statement I reported that Cliff Kingsbury made, it just seems to be going hand in hand, and the pieces seem to be fitting together. Now, on Saturday night, we spoke at length about some potential changes coming to the NFL Combine in the future. Based on your Sunday update, they could be coming sooner than that. How soon are you expecting? 
I spoke with a scout yesterday who told me that the word right now is that the interview process, which usually takes place in the evening and goes late into the night sometimes, will be changed to the afternoon next year or as soon as next year. Now, at face value, you would think that something would be done to benefit uh, the player. But really, what I was told was it will make way for the workouts to take place during prime time. I mean, we saw two hours of uh, workouts yesterday on ABC Major Network Television. If that's working out for them, they'll have the uh, workouts at prime time. And you may have three or four nights of combine workouts on Major Network Television. It's well known. I spoke to a number of people who said more and more the NFL is taking over the combine. And changes or ideas that national scouting, who has run the combine since the beginning, have are being pushed aside or being dismissed or being changed by the league. It's kind of ironic because about 12 years ago, when I used to go to the combine workouts in the RCA Dome, I used to sit right behind Charlie Army of the uh, then St. Louis Rams. And he was one of the guys who built the Rams up to the Super Bowl champion that they were in the late 1990s. I remember Charlie Army saying to me that within the next 10 to 12 years, the NFL would take everything over as far as scouting is concerned, as far as the combine is concerned. I mean, he may be a little bit early in that prediction as far as taking over the scouting portion of the NFL, but he seems right on the mark as far as the combine is concerned. Now, speaking of the combine workouts, we're going to take a quick look back to Saturday, specifically the receiver workouts, and even more specifically, Missouri's Emmanuel Hall. He was really impressive, 4.394 yard dash, 43 and a half inch vertical jump, 11 foot nine on the broad. Unfortunately, he didn't complete the short shuttle. Do you have anything on the full story as to why? What I was told was that Hall was diagnosed with a potential sports hernia during combine medicals. And the combine doctors were not going to allow him to work out at all. He basically begged them or pleaded with them to take part in the 40 as well as the jumps. And they had to get additional approval to finally agree to let him participate in the uh, 40, in the broad jump, in the vertical jump. But they wouldn't let him participate in the shuttles or three cones or anything else. So it's kind of amazing that they diagnosed this guy with potential sports hernia that he may or may not have, or at least he didn't know have any inkling of. And then he goes out and puts up the marks that he did. Yeah, that's certainly an impressive situation for somebody not at 100%. Obviously, a lot of sports hernia injuries do require surgery. Moving off of that, is it unusual to see the combine doctors preventing players from participating? Not at all. I, and it could be for the most minute things. If you remember about three, four years ago, Austin Seferian Jenkins, the tight end from them, Washington, Jimmy Ward, the defensive back from Northern Illinois, those guys were prevented from working out. There was a rash of players who were not allowed to work out that year because of what they thought could be a list frank fracture. And then, of course, there's uh, the big defensive tackle from uh, Utah who was prevented from working out because they thought something may have been wrong with his heart, and it just turned out to be uh, a response to the flu that he had. So if they think that's something that could develop into something worse, they will stop the player or they will disallow the player from working out. After he was prevented from running the short shuttle, obviously had to do a lot of begging to get into other drills. What's his immediate outlook in the coming months because of this injury? I'm told that Hall, as well as his representatives, are going to go. They're going to get additional opinions to see what the actual situation is. If surgery is required to fix it, I'm told it's a three-week recovery and it's very minor surgery, I guess, compared to the usual sports hernia as we know it. Now, where do you think Hall will be drafted, assuming this doesn't turn into something more major? 
it's ironic, but on Friday night, I did a video for SNY in New York, and I said that he'd be a perfect fit for the New York Jets in the third round who need more receivers, need more playmakers. So I think he's going to go in that third round area. Now, Clemson defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence was sidelined for most of the testing and position drills after he tweaked his left quad during his first 40-yard dash. Despite this, I'm told you're hearing some positive news on Lawrence overall and the impression that he might have made to teams following that PED suspension that cost him the ballgame. Well, that's basically it. It's, it's, it's he's leaving a positive impression. I've heard he's come over very well in uh, interviews. People like him. They think he's a good person. He's a genuine guy. So from the interview process, I'm hearing a lot of good things on Dexter Lawrence. And obviously, we talk ad nauseum about how important the interviews and the medicals are at the Combine. Those two topics just kind of seem to reinforce that as far as what players are able to do, how they're able to compete, how hard they try to compete, and also the kind of impression that they give to teams as far as can their character be trusted in certain situations. Especially a guy like Lawrence, who basically, you know, lost out on playing in a national championship title game as well as the game to get them to the national championship title. And teams are going to want to know why a guy that big and that athletic is potentially taking peds to improve his game rather than working on fundamentals, which he needs to. But overall, it seems to be working out for him, which is a good sign. Now Let's take a look at some of the results today. Some of them we predicted yesterday. Some were actually record-setting results. We'll start off with the defensive lineman here. Obviously, Montez Sweat was the headliner and one of those aforementioned records. But who else impressed among the guys up front? Yeah, Sweat, who we spoke about yesterday, who I said would blow up the combine. Obviously, Nick Boza, I thought, had a very good day. 4.79 in the 40, including 1.6 split time in the 10. A 7.1 uh, three-cone, which was outstanding, as was his 4.14 short shuttle. Brian Burns didn't lift, which is a little bit disappointing, but 4.53 in the 40 with a 1.61 uh, 10 split. 7.01 in the three-cone, 36-inch vertical jump. That was outstanding. A guy that we spoke about multiple times, really since November, Max Crosby, came in just under six foot five, two hundred fifty-five pounds, ran as fast as four six four in the forty again with a one six ten yard split, six eight nine in the three cone, four one three in the short shuttle, thirty-six inch vertical jump, outstanding numbers for Crosby. I think he's cemented himself as a second day pick. Rashawn Gary was off the off the charts, but we knew he would be. Four five eight in the uh, forty with a one six three ten split and a thirty eight inch vertical jump. Tristan Hills didn't have great testing numbers five oh four in the uh, forty, but he looked fantastic in drills. Very fluid, very smooth, moving about the field. And really, Chase Winovich. I mean, the guy just continues to exceed expectations. Four five nine in the forty, a one point five seven ten yard split. I think that's the fastest of any of the defensive ends or the edge rushers. 6-9-4 in the three-cone, which is a great mark. So I think Chase Winovich really helped himself today. Yeah, and a lot of people like to look at the agility drills when it comes to edge rushers, specifically the three-cone, and obviously Crosby beating Sweat, beating Brian Burns by over a tenth of a second is super impressive for him. It's also important because a lot of these undersized edge rushers you're going to occasionally drop off the line in plain space. You're going to ask them to cover tight ends and coverage. You know, you're going to ask them to move laterally and make plays, not just up the field, but in pursuit. So when you see those good three-cone times, when you see a quick short shuttle times, it tells you that they've got lateral speed. Now, moving back a level on defense, speaking of speed, we really saw some impressive numbers from some of the top linebackers in this year's draft. Who showed you the most, Tony? 
Obviously, the two headliners got to be Devin White and Devin Bush. I mean, they were neck and neck with each other in the 40s, running the low 4-4s. Devin White had a very good three-cone at 7.07, had an outstanding vertical jump at 39.5 inches. Devin Bush was 6.93 in the uh, three-cone, which is really good for him because, you know, he's known more of a downhill type of linebacker. I was impressed with him in the drills when he moved in reverse. 40.5 inches in the vertical jump. That's outstanding. Gary Johnson, who we highlighted yesterday, 4.43 in the 40, which is an outstanding mark. Josh Allen, I think, overall did very well. From what I was told, he looked like an Adonis when he weighed in. 4.63 in the 40, 7.15 in the three-cone, which is a good number. Blake Cashman, 4.50 in the 40, which is better than expected. Porter Justin, 4.69. You look at it, you say, well, that's that's not a great time. He was expected to run in the 4.8, so he was at least a tenth uh, better than what people thought. 35.5 inches in the vertical jump. We spoke about Justin Hollins. He was actually slower than I thought, but he still ran a 4.50, uh, which was a terrific time for a guy that's 6.5 and changed 248 pounds, 36.5 inch vertical jump. And I thought Sione Takitaki of BYU did well, 4.63 in the 40, which is much faster than expected. Again, he was a guy who was predicted to go in the uh, 4.8 range, 10.5 vertical jump, did well in drills. Now, Monday's workout's coming up. We only have the defensive backs left over. Out of all the positions, this is probably the one, and particularly at the cornerback spot, that is most driven by the 40-yard dash. If you lack speed at corner, you're very likely to be in trouble at the next level, barring other skills that really, really make up for it. Is there anybody, Tony, that you're worried about from a speed standpoint, and who do you expect to impress? I don't know about worried about. There'll be some guys that, you know, running the four sixes, I'm sure running the four sevens. To start off with, I had thought and I was told that Kendall Sheffield, the cornerback from Ohio State, hoped to compete to be the fastest man in the combine, running the four twos. If you followed me on Twitter, you saw it today. I was there during the bench press when the defensive backs were benching. Sheffield injured himself. I could see on the screen he was grimacing in pain. They had to pull the bar off of him. It was a left side injury. I thought it may have been a shoulder or an arm. I'm told now it looks like he may have done something to his left pectoral muscle, which is kind of ironic in the sense that a year ago, it was Billy Price, the center from Ohio State, who hurt himself on the bench press with the pectoral strain. As far as who do I expect to do well tomorrow? You know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson of Florida, a guy who I love on film. Teams are looking at him at both safety and corner. He's a track guy. Expect him to run in the low four threes. I think Juan Thornhill, who put up 21 reps on the bench today, He's considered a guy who's going to run in the high four fives. I expect him to blow it out of the water tomorrow. Probably running the low four fours, outstanding vertical jump, outstanding broad jump. A guy who I also think is going to surprise tomorrow is going to be Darnell Savage of Maryland, the safety. Another one who's looked at upon as a four five guy in the 40. Expect much faster times. Look for his shuttle times. Mike Edwards, the safety from Kentucky, broke his thumb at the Senior Bowl and just recently started working out. He's not going to be participating in uh, combine workouts. He's looking for an April Pro Day right before the draft. Watch DeAndre Baker. Don't watch his testing times. I'm not worried about that, but see how he does in position drills. I'm not hearing a lot of positive things about him as far as his work ethic. I heard he's not very smooth or fluid in in the lead-up to the combine. A guy who, not one of my favorite cornerbacks because he does too much face guarding, but he's a guy to watch specifically during position drills. And that's all for the 45th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms, and leave us a rating and a review. 
And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. You can find us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast. We'll be back to recap Monday's action as well, so keep your eyes peeled for another show coming shortly. And as usual, make sure you visit draftanalyst.com for all the latest news and buzz from Lucas Oil Stadium. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Enjoy the final workouts at the Combine, everybody.